Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Wealth Psychology with Jamie and Emily on Sylvia Global Radio. And we have the great good fortune of co-hosting today's show with Lynedra Carroll again. Thank you so much for being back, Lynedra. It's wonderful to be here again. And Jamie, thank you for being here from Israel. Really phenomenal. I'm so happy to be on the call today, too. Thanks, Emily. Thank you, Lenedra. For for those of you who have not been uh, listening to our show before, just a little background. Uh, Jamie and I, Emily, we are the uh, partners of Wealth Legacy Group, which is a a consultancy that specializes on wealth psychology and the emotional impact of wealth in people's lives. And Lenedra is the author of the book Architecture of All Abundance, and she also founded the nonprofit Higher Ground for Humanity. And she also developed and managed the career of the artist Jewel, and is also Jewel's mother. So that's a little bit of background about us. And today's show is going to focus on something that's very relevant in any listener's mind right now and is part of our lives, which is uh, this whole concept of resilience, and how do we move effectively in the face of expected and unexpected change? And we're talking about this again more in depth because of what's happening in the world right now. So right now, uh, Jamie is in Israel, and what's happening at the moment in time is Israel is dealing with um, uh, bombing and a lot of uncertainty around whether or not uh, they're going to go into uh, a greater level of battle or if there's going to be peace. It's a very tenuous time there. And Jamie is living there with her um, husband and two children, and her parents are there as well, right, Jamie? Yes, they are here um, visiting me. They came to support me while while I'm going to be going through surgery. So um, coincided with... um, with, uh, you know, lots of unfortunate excitement here. So it's been very challenging, and especially for us, for the children, for for my parents. Oh, and that's right. For our listeners who aren't aware, Jamie had a major bombshell hit her and her family uh, a couple weeks ago, about, I guess, a month ago now, when she was diagnosed with breast cancer, completely out of the blue as a, what, 45-year-old woman. Um, and has been navigating that, and that it was in a tremendous bombshell for them. And then Lenedra is coming to us from New York City, where they had a little bit of warning recently about a massive hurricane that was heading in their way, and I think they're still recovering there. Are you in a place where there's electricity and water and everything's fine? I am. I was on the Upper East Side, um, and that's a, a funny thing about these things is there will be areas that uh, received little impact and then areas that were completely devastated. And uh, we see that in our own family systems as well. Oh, yeah. That's what we're going to be talking about is how to move with this in our lives. And I want to say I was in New York last week and I went and um, met with somebody who was um, on the 38th floor of a beautiful building on York, which is on the uh, east side near 80th. And the entire building was fine except for one person's apartment on the 38th floor where it was like a huge explosion and the windows crashed in and his entire apartment was destroyed and the rest of the building was fine. So, it, again, it's like there's this way mm-hmm. you can anticipate. You can, you can even have forewarning. And then once it hits, you still don't know where the most damage is going to be and what's going to happen. And we're not just talking about physical hurricanes. We're talking about what happens in life when even something as anticipated as having an inheritance come into your life, what what that can be like in terms of um, what you might need to do to prepare for it and what you might need to do if you had no preparation for it. And I'm, calling, I- I'm, I'm in here, I just to back it up, from San Francisco where we are always um, 
aware that there could be a earthquake here at any time um, that could be huge and devastating or a little and shocking, and we never have any warning about that. So uh, that's another aspect of life as well. So we're going to be bringing these metaphors into our conversation. And Jamie, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was just thinking both you and Lenedra pointed to something that I think is so important to think about is that really what happens to our families um, on a smaller level, it's like a ripple effect. Just like I was just thinking about your analogy of this 38-story building and only one apartment was directly hit, but the ripple effect, I'm sure the whole apartment building was impacted in different ways, you know, the next door neighbors, maybe more so than the people that live on the first floor. And it's that way in families, too. Something might directly impact one person in the family, but then there is a ripple effect. So we're going to keep weaving in and out in this conversation between global impact um, and then winnowing it down to familial impact, because there, there's a lot of similarities um, in, in how you think about it and then how you learn to resiliently move. Wow, thank you. And, Lynette, do you want to kick us off in terms of this conversation by giving us a context and a way of thinking about resilience and then, um, well, that you take it from there in terms of questions you want to ask and we'll go from there? In, in anticipating a conversation about resilience, I found it, so helpful for myself to start from understanding what the word means to me, to look at uh, perhaps what it means culturally, to see what I could understand of what it means to others, uh, and and then to think about the, what that means in my life. And to do that, I first thought about the the actual you know dictionary di- dictionary uh, definition of resilience, which is the the power of the ability to return to the original form after being bent, compressed, or stretched. That's the what it says uh, for the definition. And the second one is the ability to recover readily from a crisis. So resilience has in it this, uh, this component of recovery from crisis or a return to the original form, which uh, is interesting when we bring it into the family level. I looked further to see what else would show up, and I found a fascinating idea, which is that resilience is the, the property of a material or a situation to absorb energy when it's distorted. And then upon unloading that uh, energy, to be able to recover that energy so it's fun also to think of that in terms of science and in terms of energy because when we have an impact, the amount of energy that it takes to adjust, um, to recover from the distortion that occurs um, and to recover then the energy so that we aren't moving further and further into deficit, that's an important thing to think about. I looked also at what people just out on the boards, say, and how they're defining it in their lives. And it came down basically to this repeated phrase. People seem to say resilience means not crumbling and falling apart. And I thought about whether that was a very, well, helpful enough definition if we are carrying that. It means we're trying, always trying not to crumble and fall apart. It's just even really possible. And then... The other thing was that that repeated a lot was the the process of being able to bounce back and the metaphor of uh, trees whose branches can bend and sway rather than uh, those that are so stiff that they can't uh, crack under, that they crack under pressure. So flexibility really came up. And then regarding systems and community thinking, uh, where there's a lot, resilience is a very important idea in systems and communities thinking about community systems and global systems and cultural systems and their ability to recover. And again, the idea of flexibility was very important. Uh, and the things that, that defined the, the community ability 
was um, the region or community's ability to effectively prepare and to effectively respond and to effectively recover quickly from a, a crisis or disaster. And I think that applies into our lives very much. So with this idea, there was something that, that I think we could begin with that's so important, and that is that in, in nature, in communities and societies, and especially, I think, even in families, the isolated system is most vulnerable mm-hmm. to difficulty of recovery or even irreparable breakdown. And we can feel this in our lives. I can feel it in my own family. Times when I have been isolated uh, with my family's crisis, our recovery has not had um, the the same ability as times when I'm not. So I'd love if each of you would would offer something from your wonderful experience um, of working with families, families of wealth, about what types of crisis come to us and what types of things, what components there are in that. I love your, um, thank you for bringing in those those definitions and those images. Um, I think at the core of what we see, if we were going to um, winnow down to just what is the core issue that we see happen with families over and over and over again, where families go off the tracks, it would really be about that sense of inflexibility. Um, Mm. And I love the image of the tree, you know, that that if the wind hits and it doesn't bend, it's going to break. And so often we find that families – where, you know, the matriarch or the patriarch come with certainty around how something has to be. It has to be this way. It doesn't matter what even that something is. It could be, you know, a variety of issues. But when things have to be a certain way, that's when um, the systems have, we find the systems have the least amount of hope um, because they don't have that ability to give. Um, and helping families understand that there can be different perspectives and different ways to look at things and even ways to ask a question. Emily and I have talked about this um, on previous shows. Even the simple um, shift from answering somebody with a but to shifting it from listening to what they say and saying and and then adding your thought, even that small change leads to so much more resilience and hope out of flexibility. Yeah, and I think what I would add to that is uh, part of being flexible, part of being um, able to move more fluidly and in a flow in the midst of um, you know a tight family system is where there's a sense of um, the ability to grant legitimacy to the experiences of the other person. And oftentimes what will happen is a family system can become quite tight and rigid and inflexible when there's a sense of if I come forward with an opinion or a belief or a feeling that's different than um, somebody who holds more power than I do, somebody who really um, holds the purse strings, shall we say, then it could be dangerous. It could be problematic. It, it, it's not okay. So it's, we love to, to in our work with coaching with um, individuals, with families, is how to open up the conversation in a way where people can feel more safe, more uh, having the capacity to, um, to express how they feel and know that it's it's going to be treated as legitimate and not just be shut down. And having that skill and capacity to do that is essential for it. It's, I loved what you said, Lenendra, about the community's ability to uh, repair, uh, prepare and respond and recover. And 
I, I also think about repairing um, because if we can step back and be in a place of, oh, this is how I see it, that's how you see it, and then how can we be um, looking at it from a place where we can feel we're more um, at ease and at peace with, while we have maybe differences, and there's things that we both care about. And, uh, you know, it really, I think that what's happening in the Middle East is something that's on a lot of people's minds and hearts right now because with such intractable views and both sides feeling so right about how wrong they've been, there's not a lot of opening for there to be any kind of lasting peace because of that need to be so right. And we see that in families with family members that don't talk to each other because of that need to be right about how wrong they were. Well, and that's I think really that, isolating being right. Oh, very isolating. <laughs> very <laughs> isolating. Yes, I think another thing that um, that increases the both the isolation uh, and and therefore uh, the inflexibility is that. Speed is is usually high speed is usually involved. So, for instance, uh, for us, we were uh, we were indeed uh, planning to achieve success, but we were not necessarily prepared for that success. And when all the high speed at which that occurred and continued, um, which is really what most of our lives are, though it was an extraordinary circumstance perhaps for us, but with that high speed that went on, it made it difficult for us to be flexible because if you're just if you don't have an ability to slow in the growth of a system, then you will fall back on whatever your family patterns or other coping mechanisms are. And that makes you less flexible. So I think being able to slow down into answers, being able to take time with one another to communicate has to be prioritized. Uh, it's so good to hear you say that. Uh, do you have a memory of like a, an instance when it's such an extraordinary story about how you and, and Jewel went from basically ground like nothing, I mean, homeless on a beach at one point to amassing quite a bit of success. Uh, like, when do you see that there was a turning point where you, where it was like, oh, wow, we've, we've achieved, and then it just kind of took off, it had kind of trajectory of its own. I don't know if you can speak into that a little bit, but I, I'm sure our listeners would be very interested. Well, I'd like to, uh, for, I always, when people mention having been homeless, I always like to, um, well, to honor those who are, are truly homeless, by pointing out that in our case, homelessness was a choice. We had not been homeless. We did have resources of all kinds, community, family, um, jobs, and so on. But we made a choice uh, to make ourselves homeless. Uh, so when I speak of that, I I don't uh, want to be dishonoring at all to people who don't have those choices. Oh, thank you for so, the clarification. Yeah. For us... We did go from very simple circumstances that included homelessness, um, which we were doing for a particular reason to help Jewel have the space in her head and herself uh, not to have a lot of jobs but to be able to pursue something that didn't have monetary success. And so we really lowered the overhead. As things began to accelerate, there was fairly quickly, a record deal. Then there was being on the road uh, and uh, and uh, lots of new experiences that all were directed toward building success and building wealth. And because she was a young person, one of the things that's common to these young artists who achieve success quite quickly is that they they don't feel... Prepared, not just prepared um, to handle money in you know those handling money skills, but in themselves, they often feel that wealth isn't good, um, that they're selling out, and these types of 
psychological feelings about their wealth become very important and having support to understand those. Otherwise, there there becomes then a rigidity in the idea that I can't move ahead and become and accept wealth because I'm going against my values. And this is real common to young people. Oh, that is so important. Jamie. So I was just going to say, it's such an important point and something that we run into with our clients all the time um, and and I have a question in it that not only are they having this swirl of, of, you know, really being in this different culture and having this different life, but also our experience with our clients is that they, they can't voice it to anyone. They can't say to anyone, wow, now I have money and it's really quite a challenge because people look at them like, you know, are you crazy? So that then becomes very isolating. Was that, did that happen for, for you and for Jewel? Yes. And also because lives with, you know, a great deal of wealth are often, I would say most often also very busy because of the opportunities that uh, come with it. And so there, there was being constantly on the road and other things going on that really increased that experience. When uh, one of the, I think, moments that I really began to understand and to first more clearly see the problem caused me to make a, a decision that I think was a really important one. The money was still somewhat modest, but the fame developed more quickly, the public awareness and uh, fan base and this type of thing. Um, And she was having as much trouble regarding this resource, this wonderful resource of having fans and beginning to be accepted in the media and so on and have radio play. And this also, this resource was very challenging for her. And then we received the opportunity for her to be on the cover of Time magazine. And what I understood in that moment was how stressed her personal system was um, and how much more that coverage would increase that. And I felt she needed to be ready. So I told the label, um, she happens to be on on her first three-day break and I'm not going to interrupt it, which made them absolutely crazy. Um, because they said there had to be an answer immediately. So first, I had to give her the promised break. Then, when we did speak, um, I gave her the option of turning down that, telling her how much it would increase what she was struggling with, and helping her understand the conversation that uh, she might be in in herself to prepare and to know whether she was ready or not. And so she took additional, a couple of additional days. And the label was so concerned that she would lose that opportunity. They had, Atlantic had never had an artist in their 50 years who had been on the cover of Time magazine. It was a very big thing. And the idea of not doing that um, wasn't really in their universe. But I felt that unless she realized what it would mean to her and chose it because she felt ready that it would be a disaster. And so she took time to be in that conversation. That conscious choice, she could. She then brought herself back to. And by then she knew a little bit about what that choice would mean. So there's something in there for us as well. About preparedness, perhaps. Well, and maybe also the role of a parent Um you know, in creating that space when the world is moving at lightning speed, um, being able to create whatever pocket you can that you can be having a more thought-through conversation as opposed to just shooting from the hip all the time. And as I listened to you say that, I just thought what a tremendous gift that was from a mother to a daughter to be able to create that um, and to have her be able to think about it. Yeah, and I would also add, because Jamie, you and I have been in conversations about this, and we've spoken on the, the show as well about uh, that modeling of 
doing that which we want to cultivate for our children for ourselves as well. And I wonder about how many mothers on, that are listening right now deliberately stop and pause and take time to really reflect before moving because things are happening so quickly in their lives. And also maybe there are inheritors that um, aren't even doing that self-care for themselves. And I know I've certainly worked with them, and I know you have too, Jamie, where there's tremendous sense of overwhelm and um, almost paralysis when they get a call that says, you need to sign that document right now, or this decision has to be made, and there's so much data that needs to be gathered. I mean, I can think of one client who is in a position of, um, having um, inherited wealth unexpectedly and also being uh, the executor of the mother's estate and having to deal with decisions around the house with two brothers and they've lost their parents and that one brother wanted to be bought out of that house and he was being relentless and he was just coming after her to buy him out. And she was in this position of wanting to take care of his needs, wanting him to be happy, Um, feeling a tremendous amount of pressure. And then because she had more uh, access to resources because her father, who had passed away, was different than her brother's father because it was a blended family situation, she had a trust fund that her brothers didn't. So there was um, some guilt around that and capacity to move that they didn't have. And she uh, was told by her advisors, oh, you just take the loan, a line of credit off of your money from your trust and you buy him out that way. And she was completely flummoxed and didn't know what to do because for her, why would I take on debt to um, pay him off? And so there was, we slowed everything down and very much like you described, Lineja, we took time to really look at uh, the pros and cons from many different perspectives and the coaching that I worked with her on had to do with how to move effectively with her advisors to ask questions where the advisors felt like she was part of the process and not questioning them. And like I just, you know, help me understand is a great phrase to use and I want to be um, more effective and conscious of my choices Um making requests for, you know, I understand spreadsheets, but I'm having trouble with this idea of taking on debt. So can you spell it out for me in terms of different scenarios? If I were to take all that money out and pay him right now, what would I be losing because that's not earning interest versus how much I'm going to have to pay if I do it over time? Like she broke it down with them and then they were able to answer her questions and then she felt very much more supported by her advisors, it took longer, and we also did coaching around how to communicate with her brother to take care of his concerns, but not to feel so pressured and that she could have boundaries. And then she was able to come to a decision that felt really good to her and her values. And I'd love to go back to what you said, because what you spoke into, Lenedra, is huge for anybody who's listening. In terms of this inner conflict that we have around if I accept and grow wealth in my life that's coming to me that I've even been striving for or that I knew was going to be there, how do I also be able to stay true to my values? Because in our culture, we don't have that strongly identified. And that's what we're here at Sylvia Global to try and do is how to be able to live your values while also having us one. Can you speak into that, Lenendra? How did you work with um, Jewel around tapping into her values in the face of the uh, the success that was coming to her? I I will speak to that. Uh, also, we have a question from Eugene, Oregon, and your answer, uh, without you realizing it, was also very much part of an answer to this caller's question, who. Uh, asks me as a, a mom, how did I learn this insight to share with my daughter in those circumstances of uh, advising her to take her time making the decision, not just to assume she had to be on the cover of Time magazine. And in your uh, conversation, Emily, what you're really speaking to is a person who had available to her the support of people with wisdom and information. 
Now, uh, it happens in my case that that understanding occurred to me. It came out of the depth of my own wisdom, and all of us have that available to us. But as I mentioned, with the high speed and other things, uh, it's not for us to have every wisdom for everything. We are a team, humanity. And what you're talking about is something I so wish at that time I had realized the necessity for, which is to work with people uh, with counselors, with uh, educators, with people who are experienced about what was happening and not have to try to understand it as I went and uh, hope that I had, you know, I could find the right answers and the right questions as they needed to occur. So I would say the most important thing would be to create a support system that included the help of professionals as well as uh, wise friends and other types of of support things. So if I see that Jewel um, is needing help supporting her value, I'm not the only resource for her to understand those things. But she has resources that would support also. She might uh, work with a counselor and other types of things. Uh, the label could be invited to share their experience in an ongoing way because they, you know, of course, see this with artists um, and many, many types of things. So increasing the support group would be yeah. that. And helping her, it's a good first answer to helping her to be close to her values. The first thing, of course, about values is helping someone, uh, a young person, um, or helping oneself understand what one's values are. So important, and you know, when you were expressing that, it made me think of one of the conversations we had about um, young women, or, or women especially, who are inheritors, who are out there dating, who are meeting people, who um, find out that they have significant wealth, and how do they trust that that person really is the right person for them? And one of the things that we strongly recommend is having that person be in different situations with you and having trusted friends that you really will listen to, give and reflect back to you what they see in terms of who you are in relationship to that person and does it really feel like they're truly augmenting who you are and respecting you and honoring you or their concerns and having advisors, having trusted friends. And one thing I would wonder about is how do you move when, you know, your trusted label has a very strong agenda and a need and they have a vested interest in the choice that you make versus staying true to your values, even if those in the face of what somebody who has your best interest at heart they also really want you to do because it's going to benefit them. That's huge. That was especially a big factor in the, that type of career, in the career of a, a, an international artist. And to bring it down into the the life of, of of people who are not dealing with that level of career, but it still is the very same thing. A, a caller from Orlando, Florida says... I'm I'm just a soccer mom, yet I feel like too many demands are placed on my children and that I need to have better control, and I'm unsure how. And as a kind of second part to that, um, how to say no when the pressure all around us is to do more. So that story of saying no or, you know, considering saying no to Time magazine is a really good one because this woman... And Florida is dealing with the same type of thing in her own world. These types of pressures that come from the system, from school, uh, from goals, from the requirements of education and, and having your children ready for higher education from so many places. So if it is difficult for a parent to sort that out. What would you, uh, Jamie and Emily, say to the woman in Florida to help her be able to say no to the pressure in the way that, that I did um, to the label to give time for J 
jewel to make her decision? You know, it's it's such a perfect question. I really think um, the caller for it because we are living in a world that is speeding up and we're all complicit in the speeding up. You know, we're on 24-7, we're available and we really don't have to be. So I think, again, it comes down to deciding what our values are and then intentionally slowing down the pace. So just two very quick examples that come to mind or uh, suggestions are um, having family dinners. They say that family dinners are one of the most important things um, that people can do to raise really grounded children. So having dinners where you turn off the cell phones, you don't, you're not plugged in, you say we're going to have a certain amount of time, a certain, you know, many times a week to just be together and to talk and to be resources for each other because life is crazy and we have the ability to carve out time for ourselves. One of the policies that Emily and I have put into place, and this is my second suggestion, we're not always good about doing it, so I'm going to invite Emily and I to be better about it, um, is that we said we don't like how much people are available 24-7, and we wanted to have a policy that we wouldn't email, we wouldn't send out work emails to people on weekends or after like 6 or 7 p.m. because we wanted, and we wouldn't answer them either. We wanted to start to set up a boundary that there is a division between being available professionally and being available personally. And it seems like that's very much getting um, blurry. And so I think it's each of our responsibility and our collective responsibilities to start to put things in place, like family dinners, like saying, you know, I won't answer emails for work, you know, whatever works for somebody in a way that starts to stop and starts to slow down this um, cr- human created, the re- you know, part of the reason our world's speeding up is not, you know, it's not global warming. It's really done by our own um, hands. Even global warming could be said. But we really need to c- take control of, especially as parents, as starting to slow things back down and carving out more personal time. Wow, it's so potent, and I know that you're right in the midst of that, Jamie. And I thought you were going to talk about the other policy we have, which is um, that I keep asking you to get a massage at least once a week to take your downtime because it's when your most creativity and most um, peaceful time is, and you always come out rejuvenated, and then our our work flows so much more beautifully. And I think one thing that can really help people is understanding that taking time slowing things down, being deliberate and being in our core values actually allows us to move much more effectively and have that flexibility we were talking about earlier in terms of resilience where we can have a very clear no or hold on a minute or I need some time. And it's great for parents to use this when teenagers come at you, your kids come at you with, I need this right now, or, oh, I forgot this, or you have to do this for me now. And, you know, that again, that intensity and that speed with which we uh, find ourselves having to respond and react to whatever is in front of us and being able to take a breath, being able to get grounded in, well, you know, since we promised that we were going to have dinner together right now, that sounds like a great opportunity that, I think, and I like that, Jamie, that you brought that up too, um, our commitment to this dinner is more important than that. And we're going to have to make choices and miss out on things. So there's a way in which we can be very clear about that. And um, there's so many things that parents can do to be grounded in uh, whatever boundary it is that you want to set that will help to promote what Jamie's saying. And I was with a a client recently. She's um, an inheritor. She's the executor. She has power of attorney. Her parents are ailing, uh, has two brothers, and she also is not in the best physical health. And she shared with me that people adjust to whatever you let them know is the reality. 
and her brothers have just adjusted from calling her at all times in the night um, with their needs and, and their concerns and even her parents doing that to knowing that her phone goes off at 9 o'clock at night and it will be turned on after her morning practices at 9 in the morning. And there are structures in place so if there's any emergency that uh, there are caregivers, there's a whole uh, level of care that's there for the parents so that she can be at her best when she uh, gets the call, when she receives the warning, when so that they know not to email her or expect an immediate response and they know she's not going to pick up her cell phone except very, very rarely and that she's going to have the phone off. And people would maybe listen aghast at that, but she said that it is remarkable, the lack of input that happens during that time, and things still happen and still get done, and she's very effective with it. It's remarkable when we talk to clients about it. They say, oh, I couldn't do that. But there's something very permission-granting. Like when she put those boundaries down, it made it much more clear to her brother when it was, and it also was permission granting for him to put down what he needed. So sometimes you get the opposite result. You think no one will agree to this, and people are actually quite delighted to have those those opportunities for quiet and those boundaries drawn. That's really, really true. Most of our body is comprised of space, space between the cells and the atoms and the organs and so on. I think that uh, when our lives are extremely compressed, our bodies can't help but follow, and we begin to have a more of an inner compression, I mean an actual physical compression, that probably is a component of disease, less measurable perhaps right now, but I think that will become increasingly understood. And in fact, I'm going to spend uh, the entire next show which is a solo show for me, I'm, I'm excited to say. Um, and I'm going to talk about that space, bringing that space in, because in our lives, this is one of the big, big challenges. A woman was just asking if um, if we could address the the transition that occurs when your child is a young adult now and what was working as a child may not be working as much for this um, as a young adult. And that knowing how to to transition, how to uh, be less responsible for giving advice and for having that kind of input uh, and help the child instead become a healthy and resilient system on their own right, which is another level of it. And I think keeping the space in, applies to any question anyone could ask. Keep yeah. the space in so that you can recognize I'm in transition now, my child is in transition, things are changing, what used to work doesn't, I need different support perhaps, I need different expertise, um, a different kind of preparation. What will flexibility mean in this transition? Well said. And it's a great question, and I'm loving the engagement we're having. This conversation is so relevant. And um, Jamie, would you be interested in speaking? I mean, you've got two children that are um, in, uh, you have a 12-year-old and a, a 14-year-old, is that right? 11-year-old and a 14-year-old. And oh, my God. you absolutely have to, you know, what worked <laughs> yesterday doesn't work today and won't work tomorrow. Um <laughs> I find often that um, reflecting on my own experience is very useful, you know, especially as kids get even older than my kids. You know, instead of saying, um, you know, you should really think about doing it this way um, to shift to what works for me when I'm in this kind of situation is to do this. You know, so you're speaking from your own experience. They can take it or not. Um, or to say, you know, when I, you know, if your child comes to you and says they're feeling overwhelmed and stressed, you know, again, just to say, um, to identify with it, to listen, um, and to ask how you can be useful is a really 
great thing, and it, it's a great way to transition that relationship from one where you're the parent sort of telling to saying, thank you for coming to me, you know, with this issue. How can I be useful to you right now as you go through this? How can I help to support you? Um, and the other side of it is if you have a child that's becoming a young adult and they're not coming to you and you're seeing that they have some challenges, one of the things that can be very helpful is to be in a place of curiosity. And I liked how you said that, Jamie, in terms of instead of telling, being in a place of openness and curiosity and not going into reactivity. I mean, I'm thinking about the fact that I have two young women in my life. I met them when they were 15 and 17, and I became their bonus mom. They have a wonderful mother and a stepfather, and... Um, They have their father, and I'm their bonus mom. And they come to me at different times, and they also will um, go to their their other parents for other things. And opening up, I I love what you say, Lynette, about creating space, because I think that that's one of the places I stepped into in terms of the family system. Um, And it was much easier for me, and I really want to say this, because I wasn't involved right from the beginning and I didn't have a lot of preconceived notions or stories about who they were or how they should be because I didn't, I I wasn't a parent to them growing up. So that when they stepped into their young adulthood and my youngest, she became a mother at 19. So all of a sudden she's stepping into her own motherhood and trying to figure that out but she's still feeling very young and, and vulnerable and the child as well. And there was this place in which I could be curious and engaged and creating the space for her to find her way and show her that I knew I trusted that she would, while she stumbled and fell and found it, that she would be supported and loved and trusted to figure it out. And I think about um, all the ways that I showed up with a place of acknowledgement, curiosity, and wondering. How is that for you? What are you discovering? How are you noticing this? And when they go into reactivity automatically, it's like, no, no, really. I'm really just curious. I'm not coming at you with my opinion. You're not asking for it. I'm not offering it. If you want my opinion, I'll tell you about my experience, but it's up to you to decide. Like really allowing them to have their own individuality is separate. And Lynette, can you speak into this? Because Jewel came of age as she became known to the whole world. And here you are, her role as her mother, who's known her since an infant, and then suddenly also managing this and supporting her and understanding herself and what she needed to do. I think what you were saying is one of the very best answers. In fact, um, ask with older children especially, and younger children also ask them, <laughs> ask them how they feel, ask them what they need, um, and listen to them because they will tell you, uh, for better or for worse, they will tell you also what they need. And though we sometimes have to translate that, as you said, not to be reactive, but to understand what the child is saying and asking for from a, a place of uh, of greater wisdom than perhaps how they're able to ask or to say it. So I think that the the asking and the listening are the are really the best the best things. That's and great. as a summary, um, I think that I would say that there are three components of a of a of a really robust system, so that there is resonance and coherence in change and in response to crisis. It showed up again and again as I was looking into the topic, both uh, in nature, in in communities and and societies, and of course in our own family units. And those three things we've been touching on, and one is preparedness. So I think that, that being prepared by looking at what we're going through, by paying attention, taking the time to see what our experience is, and what is needed and and 
um, getting information, educating ourselves, having discussion and communication, making a plan for the types of things and crises that are or may be coming up that are of, of the type we're talking. And then to not be isolated and to have a good support system, tools for supporting ourself in it and, and one another and our family. And then um, keeping in mind and understanding how one can have that flexibility. The preparedness, support, and flexibility came up again and again. Oh, thank you for that. That is fabulous, and it leads us right into um, some key points we want to um, really uh, tie this show into a loose knot, because my sense is we're going to be revisiting this conversation from many different levels, because we are so committed to supporting people and having greater peace, greater resiliency, flexibility in their lives, no matter what comes to them and no matter what happens. Um, So that was really brilliant. And one of the things that we always end with is an evocative question. And our question today is we, we like to evoke for people to really think. And so today's question is, if you woke up in the morning and discovered that you had no money and no tangible assets, what internal strength could you immediately draw upon? What are your resources, the intangible, the ones that nobody can take away from you? And after that, we ask you in an inspiring invitation to consider what small step you can take today towards cultivating a skill or talent of yours that you most enjoy that would really serve you, particularly in a time of crisis or uncertainty, uh, be it music, be it uh, your your depth of friendships, um, be it your uh, ability to write, whatever it might be, it doesn't matter. There's no agenda about what it's supposed to look like. It's more whatever it is for you. And then uh, we have some useful tools we want to make sure that you're aware of. Uh, One is Lenedra's book, because I want to go back to this in terms of the question somebody asked earlier in terms of how did you know to do that for Jewel? (laughs) It's a remarkable story of how you've known in different ways your whole life, how to tap into that inner knowing and that listening and that quiet stillness. And her book, The Architecture of All Abundance, uh, really provides... um, uh, a lovely, I love how you talk about architecture, like the, the blueprint for that for people. And then we have a couple of other books that we recommend to people. Um, in terms of resilience, James Hughes, uh, a dear friend of ours, Jay, has written a book, uh, which he's written a number of books, but the, the book that has um, his take on resilience and how to work with it in families is Family the Compact Among Generations. And then he has a new book out with Susan Mascenzio and Keith Whitaker, two of, of our favorite trusted colleagues that um, Jamie worked with when she was at Wells Fargo. And uh, they have written a book on uh, the real the power of the gift. Um, Jamie, do you have the exact title of that? I don't have that one in front of me. I will get it to you as you give the... Um... <laughs> Okay. Well, you find that, it's and then just, um, it's, it's just hot off the presses. Yeah, it's, we don't. We have it on our Kindle. I think we don't. I, I'm, not, I'm looking at my shelf, and I'm realizing, oh, I need to get that one. Um, and they talk specifically about uh, the meteoric effect that happens when a, a wealth transfer happens, and somebody receives money that um, they may have been anticipating, and I know that the meteor is coming to hit, or maybe it happens without them being aware of it. And you speak about preparedness. And another book that we strongly Wait, recommend. Wait, let me just interrupt you for a minute there, Emily. It, the sure. title of the book is The Cycle of the Gift, Family, Wealth, and Wisdom. Thank you. The Cycle of the Gift. And we, wa- we also want to let parents know um, that there's a book that was um, written based on uh, research with over 3,000 families, and it's uh, called Preparing Heirs by uh, Roy Williams and Vic Pricer um, of the Williams Group. And they uh, have uh, sound research in terms of how to best prepare inheritors 
to be able to um, uh, handle the, uh, and be more resilient. So uh, that's also a, a really good resource. Um, and I'm thinking because of what's going on in Israel right now, I pulled another book off my shelf um, that I know, Jamie, you really love too. And Linda, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search mm. for Meaning. Um, Victor Frankl is a survivor of the Holocaust and uh, a remarkable man who wrote about his experience in a concentration camp and what he saw in terms of those who survived and those who didn't. And he speaks right to the core of resilience. And it has so much to do about um, what we choose to focus on and how we choose to live each moment in the face of utter despair and hopelessness all around you. Um, and I, I draw on this book a lot when I feel a sense of despair, hopelessness, what's the point, you know, whatever it might be that really wants to drag me under. Uh, I tap into uh, resources like this book, uh, The Man's Search for Meaning, because he he lived through something that, you know, is way beyond anything I could ever imagine living through. And um, he writes about that it in a way a that wonderful. anybody could understand. Yeah. That, that's and a he, wonderful resource. Yes. He was a psychiatrist before he went into the concentration camps, and he really observed that the people that had the highest survival rates were the ones that did think about, um, kept hope, and were able to, even if it was something small, um, be hopeful and think towards the future. But the people that became hopeless and gave up were really the ones that um, that died very quickly. Um, so it, it is a wonderful resource. It is. And uh, I thought of another resource uh, as you were talking. I know, Emily, you're a guest on Marcia Nelson's show, The New Feminine Wealth, that comes right after this show. And I think the topic is very related because you'll be focusing on how to maximize the blessings and minimize the potential curse of wealth for your children. So that really um, drills down into it as you look at the, the pitfalls of wealth uh, and help the audience look at that for their children and, and how to avoid them, uh, what they actually are and how the, they can be avoided and and made at least uh, less negative. Um, yeah, I you think can say to your children you. about wealth. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a, we're thrilled that this conversation took the turn it did, and Jamie's going to be able to be on that interview with Marcia as well. And Marcia's ah. book is the other resource I was going to mention. She has a book called Coming Home, and it's a wonderful book and resource for somebody who's looking at what you're talking about too, Lynedra, in terms of creating that space and listening to your inner calling and where that resilience really comes from, from knowing your core values. It's really quite phenomenal. And then I would also recommend for listeners that uh, are feeling like, well, I resonate with this and um, I would like to have more resilience in my life and I'm not even sure where to begin, is uh, at Wealth Legacy Group we have uh, money coaching that we offer for people to understand your current relationship with um, your wealth and your money and to be able to also um, tap into your skills, talents, and abilities and your your true assets more effectively. And remember the evocative question, if you woke up in the morning and discovered that you had no money and no tangible assets, what internal strength could you immediately draw upon? And our inspiring invitation is what small step can you take today towards cultivating a skill or talent that is yours, that you most enjoy, that would really serve you in a time of um, crisis? So, Jamie, do you have anything you want to sign off with before we we say goodbye? Well, again, we went from the the global level down more, drilling it down more to families, and I'd like to end with just a global message again that we can all take the pause, both you know within ourselves, within our families, within our community, and within our world, to pause, to reconnect with our values, and then to really. Um, have the world be the world that we want, one of peace. So, And thank to you. thank Lenedra for joining us again. 
Well, well spoken you, from Israel, Jamie. And Lynedra, thank you for doing next week's show and really supporting people and cultivating that space and creating it in um, the world, no matter how compressed their lives may be feeling. I can't wait to hear it. Space and I, peace. Mm. Thank you. Yes, thank you. 